brand new episode of the internet's most hated mafia themed geek podcast long coat mafia podcast it is i the one the only reverend godfather aka the martinsburg madman aka this show's frontman and main host what can i say but our bonus anniversary retrospective episodes are still winding down there is after this one one more left that's right one more left. I know all of you are cheering in regards to that, but uh, still, uh, I want to do this right and have it end right before our anniversary date. I thank you all for bearing with me in regards to this. Uh, in this episode is yet another interview, but it's not stemming from Four State Comic Con. I know, odd, right? But it is an interview nonetheless. It is our interview with. Mark Byrne that we did back in early 2019. So this one is only maybe about five years old. Uh, yeah. Uh, wait, maybe I'm wrong. Four years old and four years uh, and change because this, from what I could tell, this episode debuted back in January 2019. So it's a little about almost four and a half years old. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but back then. Uh, Amazon was doing some shady shit, uh, but I, I know, I know, when isn't Amazon doing some shady shit? But, either way, um, Amazon's shady shit department was focusing on a lot of independent creators and independent filmmakers, and since I was finding this out, a lot of people were talking about it, how they were affected, who was affected? Who wasn't affected? So I sent out a message saying, Hey, whoever wants to be on my show and talk about this shit, uh, you're more than welcome to come on my show and talk about this and voice your opinion. What's going on? Who you are? And so forth and so on. And Mark was the first one to kind of uh, raise his hand and say, I'll be on. And so I, he, we scheduled a date. He came on and we talked for maybe about 40 some odd minutes in regards to... What he does, what his thoughts were on the situation. Now, the audio is going to be a little bit funky because, well, it was a recorded Skype call. Some of you out there might remember when we did this a lot. And uh, to give you guys and gals out there a clue in regards to uh, the final bonus anniversary retrospective episode, I'll give you a clue. Two, one, it has uh, uh, it's a Skype call. Two, it's a kind of a... Going into a theme that what will be happening this Tuesday. But either way, um, in regards to it, let's say it, it's just a Skype call. Uh, we used to do this stuff a lot uh, in regards to me and Big Candy because he lived in Winchester and I lived here. I live here in the West Virginia area. So since a lot of time and especially during that time, gas was kind of going up a little bit and it was kind of weird uh, scheduling one on one was kind of hard and tough to do so we were doing these skype call stuff so skype calls was a thing so enough of me rambling here's our interview with mark Byrne and us discussing the whole uh at the time 
Amazon's shady shit. So uh, what can I? What else can we say? Oh yeah, I almost forgot. George, cue the music. We'll be right back with more of the Long Coat Mafia podcast. You're listening to the Long Coat Mafia. Capish. Hey everyone, uh, I am right now on Skype, as you probably heard in our intro, with uh, filmmaker Mark Byrne. Am I pronouncing that right? That's right. And uh, just for clarification, even though I've worked with you on, I don't know if how much I'm allowed to say, but um, I'm going to take Matt Burns' lead with this. I've worked with you and Matt Burns on your upcoming film, Bigfoot, exclamation mark. Um, but recently, there has been a lot of news coming out with a lot of my independent filmmaker friends like yourself about Amazon's new, uh, if you want to call it, quality policy. Uh, and me not being in that particular business, I wanted someone like yourself, if you wish to tell us your qualifications, what you've done, you're more than welcome to do that, include whatever promoting you wish to do right now. Okay, great. Um, uh, my, my name is Mark Byrne. I'm the uh, writer, director, producer for Absurd Productions Pictures. And Absurd Productions Pictures is a mid-Atlantic filmmaker that is a uh, a genre uh, neutral. By that I mean we we do a different genre each time. We aren't strictly just horror films or just comedies. Uh, multi-genre is probably a better word. Uh, so anyway, uh, we've also worked on features and shorts. Um, our feature, our short films are, are only available for on DVD, but our features we began putting those out to streaming uh, several years ago for the single-use purchase stream through Amazon, and then about three years ago, maybe two years ago, I don't remember exactly when it was, Amazon changed their uh, video to allow, uh, you could still do the single use, but then uh, the creation of Amazon Prime, the video part of it, so it was more than just the postage, and they started opening the door to allow uh, people that don't have a lot of financial backing or can't afford to spend over $1,000 to have a, a person market their services, where we could go directly into their service and have the film streamed through uh, a Prime subscription, which is obviously a great thing for independent filmmakers. You're going to get a lot more hits that way than people taking a chance to pay $3. on. They don't even know who you are. But if all they have to do is click a button, they're happy to do that. And I personally watched many, many independent films that, that wouldn't be on any other channel. So basically what happened was two days ago, I noticed that one of my films was down. It had an explanation point on it, and... Uh, it had that little comment about the quality content stuff on there, but once again, uh, this film has been up for about ten months, almost or maybe even eleven months now. Uh, if there was an issue with it, I would have thought that would have come up by now. Um, another thing, I know a lot of people have been discussing the uh, closed captioning. That closed captioning has already been handled. They did a similar thing where they went out and said, if you don't have closed captioning, your film will be taken down. And so I got closed captioning for all of my films, and and got that got that taken care of. Now uh, I don't mean to okay. interrupt, uh, but one of the other things I've heard was that this was from another through another posting in regards to this that they had to include a a blank tra audio track for dubbing. Uh, could this be an issue as well? Not granted, I'm just 
naive. I just want to help clarify, clarify things for listeners and those that might want to know what the process and the procedure is, not with just Amazon, but if possible, going through a distributor, because I've heard a lot of independent filmmakers say you'd rather go through, uh, that they would rather go through a distributor than through Amazon. So I just want to clear a lot about a lot of that up and get someone's thoughts again like yourselves like yourself well, in terms of that audio track i did read about that today i'll be honest with you that's the first time i've heard of it and i've got three films on prime and i've got multiple other films that i've got available through dvds i've never heard of that so um you know as if you've ever heard moving the goalpost um that seems like a moving the goalpost kind of thing. So we're going to create a requirement after you've already got your film up and then say, oh, wait, you don't meet this requirement. You know, they could they could easily do that. But I read through their um, license agreement or whatever. You know, they can pull your film at any time for no reason. Uh, you know, they, they can do whatever they want, pretty much. And in terms of the, um, the other thing you said about the uh, going through a distributor rather than Amazon, I would much rather do that, but... What I've seen is prices over a thousand dollars, and that's before you make a penny. You got to pay them that up front, and that's just above the the price range for for these films. That's that's why Prime worked better. I get a percentage of what I earn. I don't have to put up any money. I do have to put up a little bit of money in uh, production cost. You know, I have to get a uh, closed captioning created, which costs some money. I have to get a proof and. But it's very, very minimal, very minimal. And, and that's why it was such a great format. I mean, I, I just don't understand why a company would make a business decision. If you've got a, mark, a market cornered, why are you going to give that? It's kind of like Apple giving up on Final Cut. It's the same thing. You've got this great product everybody loves, and you're going to throw it away. And I don't care if you're moving into iPhones or, or if you want to show superhero movies. Why can't you do both, you know? It's, it seems like they're giving up on uh, at least a percentage of the independent film market, and who knows? Maybe it's gonna. Maybe there's more to come. We we just don't know. That that's one of the things I heard when you mentioned the cost of going through a distributor. One of the replies I read was that that particular person had to spend like four thousand dollars for extra for insurance. I think it was. Uh, I could be wrong. Uh, plus other uh, fees to get it out. And when I inquired, they said, well, it was the fact that in regards to the distributor, the reason why they made changes is because, I, let me step back. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little uh, topic ADD uh, because, uh, like, as you know, we spoke about this when, uh, after filming, filming the scene in Bigfoot, uh, in regards to John Johnson, he said, in regards to his latest release, Skeleton Key 3 Part 2, I asked him, why wasn't there any features on the DVD? He said the distributor told him, no, 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 no commentary, no extras, no behind the scenes, no uh, extra little goodies for your fans, just the movie, that's it. And when I brought that up, as part of a post, they said, yeah, companies do that all the time to kind of placate Redbox because they had a cover of theirs changed because of Redbox. Um, have you had anything like this happen to you in regards to a distributor? 
No, um, I, you know, I've always self-distributed or gone through, gone through Amazon or gone through a, a place where I have to do everything. So I've, I have inquired into distributors, but I've, I've never gone with one because of the money. Uh, so the Redbox uh, DVDs would come with the bonus extras, and, and that, I'm asking you this, and that's why uh, they would tell somebody like John Johnson not to have those because that way would, Redbox would have a better product theoretically. Okay, I, I'm just using trying to use examples that some people might have told me, and to okay. help better explain it to listeners, um, what is the process for self distribution? Uh, might I ask? Well, the the process I took was I went through a uh, a company called Create Space, which uh, is owned by Amazon, as as many other companies are, by the way, that are out there. Um, IMDb. Uh, I think at one point they own YouTube. I think Google owns YouTube now, but. Anyway, um, CreateSpace was a way to get your film uh, on, C- on DVD, and this was prior to streaming. There were, there were um, I don't even know if Netflix had streaming at the time. Everybody, it was still DVDs primarily. I mean, I, I guess there were maybe, maybe Netflix had, done, had started streaming at that point. I don't even think so. So, as you know, it all happened very quickly. And what I wanted to do was, was stay on top of things and, and follow whatever ways people were using to uh, get to movies. You know, people like to watch through a Roku or Apple TV or, or one of those things on their TV to get the Internet in. And uh, I wanted to be able to be accessible that way. Um, and, and so I went ahead and, and then moved over to Prime, but I kept my DVDs too because some people like those. So I, I want to try to cover everybody. And really, the, the Amazon Prime model did that. It, it covered single-use purchase, one-time purchase stream. It covered subscription stream, and it covered DVD. And, uh, I, I, I mean, that was great. I wish they'd have left it alone. Uh, personally, as a fan of uh, uh, folks at home, uh, I got introduced. Again, I'm not knocking Mark in any way, shape, or form. I got into, granted, like a lot of people out there, uh, kind of the level down of low budget films by watching Troma as a kid and in the smaller market uh, 13 years ago with John Johnson and at Horrifying seeing this wide range of low budget filmmakers like yourself Mark and it's just kind of at that point in 2006 it's right when a lot of people like myself look at Hollywood and like we're not getting what we need. We're not getting uh, kind of the film variant of what's out there. And here is this plethora of filmmakers, again, like yourself, uh, willing to share DVD, not share, but sell DVDs and let fans like myself into your market. Is, is that the main reason, or say one of the many reasons why the DVDs or Blu-rays exist for um, someone like yourself? Yeah, because I, I think, I know that the DVD market is, is a tenth of what it was, but there's still a lot of folks, particularly with horror films, that, that still like to collect DVDs for themselves. And, and, and I don't know about you, I don't buy that many DVDs anymore because most, thing, most things I'm willing to stream. But if there's something I really like, I'm not going to take a chance the streaming company brings the, the film down. I want to own my own copy so I can play it regardless. Or what if I drop that service for some reason? and go with another one, and then I don't have access to it anymore. 
So I, I think a lot of people, I, I know people that are the other extreme, that they're like, I'm not ever buying any DVDs. I'm streaming everything. I don't want to own anything. It's a minimalist well, type. Uh, I, I get that that uh, logic. Uh, for me, I where I live, I'm not in a big enough space to store a DVD, so digitally helps me out as much. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. um, with, uh, I want to put this to you if you agree to it, uh, streaming... Uh, as I see streaming as a fan from a fan standpoint, let me put it like that, allows someone like yourself to reach that larger market. Meaning, uh, last week I reviewed a film from someone, I believe he was out of New York City, uh, his independent film, something I wouldn't be able to do without Amazon. Yeah. Whereas locally, I'm able to meet with someone like yourself and pick up a DVD for five, ten dollars at the most. at a booth you, you might have at a local convention so mm -hmm. there there's that convenience of having somebody being introduced locally to an independent and finding out somebody else on a national standpoint that I wouldn't have had otherwise that, that's exactly right I mean it's like tiering you know you've got one tier the the DVD is more of a personal um, you're going to come to my booth and, and talk to me, and then you're going to buy the, the DVD from me, and I'm going to hand it to you. The, the streaming is the opposite. It's, it's someone that doesn't know who I am, has never heard of the movie. Um, you know, I have Conrad Brooks in a couple of movies, and, and maybe, maybe they're a Conrad Brooks fan, so they just search on Conrad, and they find the movie that way, or they find it by searching for science fiction or horror or whatever. I don't know how, how everybody goes about finding things. Everybody does it differently. Some people might go by actor. But anyway, uh, you're getting a much wider market with the subscription service because people don't feel the pain. They, they pay that service on an annual basis, and then they can watch whatever they want, and they don't have to shell out $3. You'd be surprised how somebody shelling out $3, a lot of times they'll, they'll not watch that movie because, oh, I don't want to spend the $3. I'll just watch something that's on Prime or on Netflix. So, you know, the selling the $3 item, I, once again, it's almost like selling a DVD. Uh, somebody almost needs to know me or know someone in the film to, to take that chance. Do you find that uh, with a lot of people, or I should say, um, granted there's people like me that is willing to take a chance on uh, a filmmaker like yourself or uh, a Conrad Brooks when he was alive. I know he did some films. Uh, John Johnson or uh, a Todd, I think his last name's Chamberlain, who did... Uh, uh, Bottom Creek. Bottom Creek. Uh, mm -hmm. That we know him, we, we're fans, we'll check him out. Uh, but the more mainstream audience that's out there that doesn't know of you or doesn't know of your films or whomever's films, they're immediately going to see Bigfoot. Okay, we're just going to, instead of giving this a uh, three or four star rating, we're just going to give it an automatic one star because it looks like, uh, again, I'm not knocking you personally, it looks like crap in their eyes. Whereas, right, I, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I think I think there is some of that uh, bias against independent filmmakers, and um, uh, you and I probably don't see it as much in the circles we run in. Most of the people I know love independent films and, and are far more tolerant of an independent film than they would be of a Hollywood film with a big budget. They're, they're more likely to slam that than an independent film. Uh, but 
we're uh, we're an odd group. You know, we're we're uh, a minority. There's many more people that are just going to focus on the big budgets. Maybe they like the big actors or uh, the big studio Marvels or whatever. And they just yeah, like you said, they just think if it's a low budget, it must by definition be crap. And as we all know, that's not true. A, a movie could have the biggest budget in the world and be crap. It could have zero budget and be great. And really, it's all in the eye of the beholder anyway. I mean, what, what you, you, your favorite movie, I might not even like. You know, same vice versa. So, you know, it's, it's, it's getting to that personality that would like your film uh, and, and getting them to find it. And even in Prime, it, it's tough to get people to find your film. Uh, there's just so many choices out there. And how do they find you, you know, without just looking it up in the search field? Yeah, um, there's been many times I've seen uh, a movie on the level of yours, uh, meaning a independent, low-budget film, that I've noticed that, hey, this is a great storyline. Wasn't Why isn't Hollywood working with a storyline like this, and vice versa? And when you look at a Hollywood, a major Hollywood film, it's like, wow, this movie kind of you know sucks, yet I just watched something from... Uh, you or Todd or this indie guy person from New York, and it hit it out of the park, and it it just didn't have the uh, ten million, thirty million, hundred million dollar budget that the major Hollywood film uh, has, and it, it I do agree with you on that. It, it's just that taste. I'm like, this is what we need. This, um, at least on my show, I tell a lot of my listeners that. Don't go out there and complain about, you know, this movie doesn't have this type of actor, this type of person portraying this. When there's a crap ton of indie filmmakers out there actually doing that, you have to take that chance. Um, do you, I just want to see if you kind of agree with that statement that indie filmmakers like you are the ones that are kind of leading that charge saying, hey, we, we might not have liked what we've seen in Hollywood and we're taking that chance to give you uh, a taste of what we're trying to do you're absolutely right i mean if you think about it what is the driving force but behind a hollywood movie it's making x amount of profit it's not about anything else with an independent film what is the the, the goal line it's usually for the filmmaker it's either a very something very personal to them it might be based on something that actually happened to them or a family member or it's like with Bigfoot, it's just more of a fun genre that, uh, you know, or something that you've always had an interest in that's kind of fun to do. Uh, I've done both. I've done very personal films, and then I've done more fun films like this one. But, you know, the big difference is I was the one making that decision. So say there was a, 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 what I like to call an empty suit, a, a non-creative person who is, is probably an accountant or a bookkeeper who runs for a major firm, and then I tell them, hey, I want to do a black-and-white film noir, uh, with Con and get Conrad Brooks and da 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 and shoot it in D.C. and they're like, there's no market for that. Forget it. You can't do it. Okay. Well, I want to do a uh, drinking drama about a bunch of people in a bar, kind of like a uh, you know bar fly type of thing. And oh, there's no interest in that. No, you can't do it. They would put the kibosh probably on at least two thirds of the films that I've done in my career. Uh, if, if I had somebody like that standing over me, they would say, okay, yes to comedy, yes to horror, all the rest of the stuff, you, I'm not going to let you do it because you're, you're not going to, I don't think you're going to make enough money on it. 
Whereas my decision is, is, okay, if I don't make a penny on it, if it's a story I want to tell, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm the one that's investing the most time in this. So if I don't care about it, then, you know, if I wanted to just make money, I could go up to Charlestown and, and roll dice or something, you know. I mean, there's more to it for independent filmmakers than, than just making money, I think. All right, uh, certainly. Uh, that's the thing. It, I want to say this. I'm to kind of use that reference that you just made in reference to going to Charlestown or a casino and just doing a crapshoot. It, it's that what surprises me with kind of the modern day film genre is that you do have a few films like uh, like it or hate it. I'm going to have to use the reference. I do apologize. A paranormal activity that was filmed for maybe about ten to thirty thousand dollars, and here it is. They made. Uh, a couple uh, hundred million dollars off that film with very yep. little uh, marketing other than maybe a few TV ads and yet it, that to me that's a rarity yeah to come up Night of the Living Dead was another one right that, right that had no budget and nobody knew who George Romero was at the time but then that blew up so yeah something you never know what could blow up I mean Bigfoot could blow up we, we don't know um, but it's very, it's like you said, very few of them do, and I almost feel like the the studio system would almost fight it until they they think, oh well, we can't fight anymore. Let's buy it, you know. Right. Uh, just for the sake of clarity, if you wish to answer it again, you don't have to. If you don't want to. What goes into, uh, again, for the folks at home, but that might not know, what goes into making a film that of what. I should say, what's the process of making an indie film that a lot of folks do not realize? Oh, you just want me to go through the A to Z kind of? Uh, if you want to. Sure, sure. Um, it usually starts off with an idea, it, from, and just, just speaking for me personally, it's usually been percolating for a few years. It's not written out or anything. It's just a, it's a concept. It, like, for example, I have three concepts right now uh, behind on uh, top of Bigfoot, uh, that'll one of those will be the next film, and then the other two will probably be what follows. So, I take that concept when I'm ready, and I usually have two or three sitting there, and I choose which one I'm going to do next, and then I basically start writing the script up. Um, I, and as the script goes, it it follows, you know, it follows the process, and a lot of times there's things that that I don't like that I take out or add or whatever. Each film is different. Um, some scripts I'll write them one time and they're they're good. Others I end up having to cut a lot or add new stuff. You you really it just kind of depends. So once you've got your script and and I like to nail the script down before I start shooting because I don't want actors to come in having memorized lines and then I walk in that morning and go here you got a new script we changed the lines last night. I just don't think that's fair to the actor. I, I know if I was an actor I wouldn't want to be put in that position. I'd want to I'd want a couple of weeks to prepare. So uh, once the script is set, then I then I release it to the actors. Um, obviously, you have to cast, and most of the casting I do with independent films is is word of mouth. It's either people I know or people that I know who tell me about their friend who acts or wants to act or whatever. Um, Bigfoot, you know, a lot of that went through Matt Burns. You and I met through Matt Burns, so. Um, word of mouth is a great way because people can tell you, hey, I've worked with this guy, he's really good, or I've worked with her, she's a professional, you know. Um, and bad stories come out too. I wouldn't use that person for this reason. Or, 
Uh, so once you get your cast together, then you, you the, one of the hardest parts is in setting up a schedule. And the schedule's got to be, you, you know, use of a location, use of actor A and B and C, however many you need. You've got to coordinate with all those people to make sure there's a weekend or a weekday or a night or whatever it is that they can do that, that jives with the location. If it's an outdoor location, you could have rain, you could have snow. I mean, imagine if we had a shoot outside tonight, right? Right. So once you've got your schedule down, then you really just go out and, and shoot it. Um, obviously, there's things that can happen in the field, but, you, you know, just prepare. Be, be prepared throughout and uh, get through your shoots, and then um, you cut the film and now what I do is I do massive color and sound corrections because there's always going to be anomalies that come up that you can't control on the set. Um, there's going to be things you don't hear when you're on the set, and when you get home and you're in the quiet of your studio that, that you know, really uh, bother you, that didn't bother you when you're shooting. And so you've got to clean all that stuff up, and I've just gotten to the point now that I go through the, I scrub the entire movie um, for audio and video. And you don't always have to do that, but... Uh, I just want it to be as clean as I can. And then once all that's done, then you get your output. And depending on where you're going to, what you're going to do with your film, you know, you'd, you'd have to get a certain output for a DVD, a certain output for streaming, that kind of thing. And then you go to your channels and often go through a bunch of rigmarole with your channels on loading up stuff, and there's always problems. And um, that's probably the most frustrating part of it because you're so close to the end, and then you're having IT hang-ups. But once you get it and finally comes clean and it's live and you can announce it to everybody and everybody can go see it, then, you know, it's a big happy day. Kind of like went in the Super Bowl and then the next day you get back to work on the next one. Uh, two things. Uh, first off, uh, um, has uh, over the years, have you found it become um, easier, if not cheaper, to film in high def and digitally? Um, because one of the things I heard uh, over the past few years is that because of technology becoming more and more cheaper, I know you filmed digitally uh, when we were on the set of Bigfoot. Uh, has that being able to convert over to digitally uh, helped a lot because the technology is now more readily available and cheaper? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, um, it's certainly cheaper, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I'm, the price for a uh, digital camera is now less than you know standard definitions were years ago. Um, I, what I found, though, is I found the IT technology to be more complicated. The, the um, uploading of things and having to convert into 15 different things. And every time you do something, there's a, there's a place for an error to be committed. And, and once that error is in there, then you've got to figure out where the error came in. And if you've got 10 steps, then you could spend a week testing to try to figure out where your error is. And, you know, they're not really going to help you. That's, that's all on you. Uh, uh, meaning, a lot of people... Uh, Oh, um, sorry to interrupt, uh, meaning that if a place like Apple for uh, ITV or their uh, iTunes or iMovie, they, they want format X and the next person wants format Y and Amazon wants format uh, Z, is that what you're talking about in reference to? Yeah, that's part of it. And the other part is how, they, how you uh, transmit the format. And oftentimes that's really where the problems are. It's like, okay, I can give you whatever format you want, you know, uh, except maybe for Blu-ray. But almost any other format I can create fairly easily through the tools. But then when it comes to transmitting, you know, I load something up and I get an error and I don't know, 
you know, instead of telling me what the problem is, you just say there's been an error. Well, what is the error so I can fix it? Right. So it, it, this is the kind of frustration. I, I think part of that, I mean, this is just a conspiracy in me, theorist in me talking here, but uh, what better way to convince people they need to spend $4,000 and go through a distributor, right? <laughs> In creating all these roadblocks for the guy trying to get his film up without breaking the bank. You know? Again, I think that kind of goes back to Amazon's definition of "quote unquote" quality is because they don't tell you; they might not tell you as a filmmaker what you need to change in that particular movie in regards to fixing that error in order to it it meeting their quality assurance. So, and being that vague does not help you the filmmaker and doesn't help us the fans that want to watch your films so absolutely absolutely and that, and that's a major issue the communication factor um is very poor i'll just be honest with you um i would like to know uh, i want to know everything so if you say hey your title's not selling enough we have a floor you have to reach this number of of minutes per month or per year if you don't we'll pull it Hey, you tell us that up front, we all understand that. And then we can do things to try to promote the movie. Go, hey, folks, I, I, you know, everybody, I need everybody to go out and watch this movie again because they're going to pull it if we don't hit certain numbers. Uh, you know, that's probably why they don't do that, because then we can't do anything about it, and then we just find out our movie's been pulled. But, yeah, I wish we had uh, better communication, and um, it, it just makes me wonder what's behind it, because I think if you are vague like that, there's a reason for writing vague language. A lawyer probably wrote that language and wrote it that way for a reason. I think that's also why a lot of filmmakers that are kind of for a distributor, they're saying that, I think one or two might have said it, that, hey, go with the distributor. If they put it on Amazon, they're able to easily, meaning Amazon's able to tell such and such distributor, this is exactly what you is needed to meet the standards whereas when it comes to someone who's just representing themselves it's the aspect of to heck with you uh, yeah. we're not going to tell you diddly squat unless you have uh, XYZ distributor you know part of your title so yeah and you know it kind of works like the employment field right if you go to a, a big fancy headhunter employer and pay a thousand dollars and da 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 then then they can cut you to the front of the line you know so you're you're paying to get your film put on there but i'm paying you to make money kind of you you the distributor you the amazon you the the hulu whoever it is i'm paying you to make money i, I mean you're still I don't. I mean, maybe maybe it's just an upfront, and they don't get a percentage afterward. I don't. I don't know. I know there's different models, but hey, God bless them. If somebody's got the money to do that, I think it's smart, and I think you probably are going to be a lot safer if you spent two to four thousand dollars to get your movie on Amazon. I don't know that your movie's coming down from Amazon. You know what I'm saying? Right. But those of us that didn't do that, and I'm sure that they know who they know who did what. They know who spent what. Um, it might be uh, that we might have hit on it. It might be, okay, folks, you want your movie up here. You know your friend spent the money, and his movie's still on. Yours isn't. So read between the lines. But I can understand your point of view and that of many others saying that, wait a minute, Amazon, you are my distributor. Uh, exactly. Why do I have to go through another party and a filter, in essence, 
to get my movie up there and have it stay up there whereas you are my distributor why do I have to go through that filter in a way now Absolutely. I could be wrong no no I think you're right and and it, like I said, it's a lot of work to get, you know, we talked about the captioning briefly. You've got to go find a third-party company to make your caption. Uh, you've got to load that caption up there, and if it doesn't come up right, no one's going to tell you what's wrong with it. I spent hours on the phone with the caption company. Hour, you know, I, I spent months, months, lots of emails with Amazon, and one day I loaded one up and it worked. And I never figured out why. Nobody ever told me what it was. I kind of felt like a room full of people sitting around laughing at me. Because all I had to do was do one little thing that nobody would tell me, you know. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about, how does uh, uh, sites like Indiegogo and GoFundMe affect uh, filmmakers? or Are they a benefit or are they a hindrance to uh, folks such as yourself? Well, I, I think they're a benefit. Uh, I think the issue with all those things is there's just so many of them now that... Um, it's tough. I mean, you know, everybody wants to help their friends and they want to help, you know, charities and this and that. But, you know, if you can't do every, you can't put money on everything or you're not going to be able to pay your own bills. So um, I've never personally used one of those, but uh, I have seen people raise uh, a lot of money. And, uh, and, and it might be the difference in somebody's film getting made or not. I am, in fact, I, I know it is in some cases. So I think it's a good thing. But I wish that we didn't have quite so many of these GoFundMe campaigns. Uh, you know, there's just so many of them out there. I think it dilutes, you know, people that really need money for medical benefits or people that are really trying to get their money together. You know, there's a lot of scams going on and there's a lot of copycat type of things going on. So uh, that's hurting more than anything, I think. If, if we just had the clean, uh, you know, ask for money for legitimate purpose things, I, I think we'd do better, you know. I think it's also the part of, uh, I'm not knocking those who do it, but when you have 50, 60, 80 filmmakers or uh, artists that want to ha do a GoFundMe per se or Indiegogo, you can't, someone like myself can't support them all now, right. or in the way that we might like to. Um, yeah. So it's kind of hard for someone like myself but I can understand why they would like to um, now that I think of it uh, one of the things is that I would like to ask uh, I probably already know the answer to it is um, would someone like yourself have to deal with the uh, MPAA or I should say the the folks that put ratings on the films um, in regards to some of the folks out there that might say I don't know what I'm going into in regards to this independent filmmaker because I don't know if it's safe for my kids or for my family without that rating. Yeah, personally, I like the ratings because I'm I, I like information, whether it's you know what what's in the food I'm buying or what's in the movie I'm looking at. I mean, that's how I'm going to make a decision. So yeah, if I say I don't want my kids seeing anything um, above you know say a PG. Star Wars type of movie, then uh, when the, with no rating, it's difficult to tell that. I, I would love if, if independent films could put some sort of a rating on there. Uh, Matt and I were talking about, you know, is Bigfoot an R or a PG-13? And I, and I said, I think it's an R because of language. 
Um, he said it's probably, he thinks it's more closer to a PG-13, but I said, well, 13-year-olds, that might be a little too violent for them. Truthfully, it's a PG-15, but they don't have that grouping. Maybe right. you'd have it by age. You'd just say, and it's like for Bigfoot, I would probably select 15 or 16 and say, okay, if it's under that age, then parents, you know, then you have to ask yourself, do I want my kids to see this? And some parents would, would have no issue with it. And others would be, no, absolutely not. You're not going to watch that until you're 16 years old, you know. Right. But, but I think parents should have uh, all that information because how else are they going to decide? And they may, they may say, hey, this is a great movie for me later on when the kids are in bed, but right now let's watch uh, something else because I think this is too violent or, or I don't want them listening to that type of language, you know. Um, without information, how, how are you going to make a decision? I, I do think that... Uh, I think that having all that information would help. Well, it is. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to manage. Uh, pardon my uh, kind of commentary. I'm trying to uh, manage a lot of things right now. And ooh, uh, says here, uh, Matt just sent me an article and again. It says uh, uh, Amazon once again. It's part of where it is. Blogspot. Yeah, I, I saw that. I saw that today. Okay, uh, I think it's... I posted that as well. I think it's the same one. It's, uh, it says, Amazon once again sets its sights on screwing indie filmmakers. Read about it and what movies are yours you can no longer see on Amazon in our new blog. I guess it's what, basically what we're talking about now. It is, um, yeah. Now, I, I know I spoke to uh, several people, including John Johnson. They weren't hit, uh, at least not yet, uh, in regards to Amazon. Uh Granted, I extended an open invite to them to be on the show. Uh, it's standard courtesy. Uh, <coughs> so I, I, I'm personally, again, I'm personally glad that you are willing to come on the show. Um, is there? I think we pretty much covered a lot of stuff. There's not much more I could think of, unless you want to add anything to it. Well, I want to thank you for covering this. I mean, that's that's why I set the time aside to talk about it, and I'm I'm happy. Uh, filled out a couple surveys on Facebook. I know there's a lot of discussion out there about it. Um, I, I mean, I hate to be, I'll just be honest here, I'm pessimistic about it. I, I think that, that they are going to do what they want to do, and I don't know how much they care, but it's great that we're all telling them. You know, people are, are sending notes to them and saying, you know, I'm going to cancel my membership because you're taking all these movies I like off. And I, I mean, that's the only way that we're going to have any impact. If, if we can impact their bottom line, then, then that will, you know, you can't talk to them about, oh, it's not fair or how much work I did or anything. They don't care about that. It's their bottom line. So if, if enough people are willing to drop their membership because of this change in format, then they could quickly reactivate those accounts and, and we could get back to it. Uh, it's going to take a lot of people, though. Um, but I was very encouraged. I mean, we're talking day two here, and there have been several podcasts out about it. There's been uh, people have written dissertations on Facebook about it. Now, of course, the mainstream media, other than that one article, is not. I've searched on on the internet for the last two days, and that's the only article I found. So um, maybe we're ahead of the curve here. I don't know. Uh, if we are, that's great. And if this episode posts up at the height of that curve, uh, I'll be yeah, I'll be posting it up no matter what. Um, before we continue, uh, kind of phase things out here. Uh, is there anything you would like to promote? Uh, uh, movies, yes, I, uh, I'd like. Go ahead. I'd like to go. Oh, okay, um, I'd like to promote the uh, website. It's absurdproductionspictures.com, 
And the reason I'm saying go there is we have links to all of our films on the website. So you can go to the website one place and click the link. It'll take you to Amazon or IMDb or wherever the movie is. You don't have to bother searching 15 different places. If you just want the ones on Prime, you'll see a thing called uh, Amazon Prime Jump Off or something. I can't remember what the exact name was. But it has all of our Prime movies in one location. I um, also have a Vimeo page there. It has all of our trailers in one location. So, uh, and then if you, you, you know, what I'd recommend is go watch the trailers, and then if you like one of the films, then go to that individual film, and you'll see what your buying options are. Some, some of them are DVD, some of them are streaming, some of them are both. And uh, I, I just, I, I'd like you, I'd, I'd like to say, I hope all of you out there that like Bigfoot will, will also give other films a chance. We've got a lot of different genres. I know not every single one of them may be for you, but you probably will find at least one that you'll like. Uh, we have two with Conrad Brooks. We have one with Lana Wood. Um, and we have some that don't have anybody famous, but they're still good films. So uh, we have trailers for all but one of them. We have descriptions of all of them. And uh, it's all right there at absurdproductionspictures.com. Uh, folks, uh, I'm going to ask Mark right here to send me uh, links to his Vimo page with all the trailers and his website, so that way I could post them up in the show's description. And when we, as you might see, when we post this episode up to at least our Facebook page and other sites, we have a uh, we'll post the links there as well to find Mark. Uh, is that okay? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So. Um, you want me to post them on your Long, long Coat Mafia podcast uh, Facebook page? Um, I'll, once I send you the links, Mark, uh, you could do with them as you please. Or if you wish okay. now to, I could send you links too, um, to the show. That way, uh, fans of your your movies could uh, uh, be notified as soon as they this show goes live. Oh, great. Great. So We could do that after show, which if you want, we could end it now if you want. Okay. Th hey, thanks a lot, Chris, for what you do. I uh, appreciate you um, taking on this. Uh, you know, this impacts you as a viewer. And, um, you know, the, the independent film market, it, we're all in this together, even, and even more so now after this. So uh, we all need each other's backs, and I think that's what I've seen a lot of today, a lot of people supporting each other and uh, trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. And Hey, uh, again, I, it, for, it's... Uh, for doing this today. It's a, been a pleasure to have you on the show to explain things from uh, an indie filmmaker's perspective and tell us the process that you go through and your opinions today. All right. Happy to help. No problem. And folks, stick around for where to find our show if you haven't found it already or if you're listening through a different source. Thank you all. It's a Lanco Mafia podcast! You screaming up. The Long Code Mafia will be right back. Welcome back, everybody. One, I hope you enjoyed this uh, walk down memory lane with us in this bonus retrospective anniversary episode. Number two, the fact that uh, you enjoyed that this wasn't a four-state Comic-Con interview. Three, that uh, you came away learning something a little bit new and different in regards to what Amazon did way back in 2019. So, uh... That being said, uh, we have one more anniversary episode uh, going to be dropping, whether it's Sunday or Monday. I'm not exactly sure. Depends on how I feel. Uh, I've been extremely tired as of late, but still, that's beside the point. 
but before I go, how can I forget? We do have a partner in a way. Uh, we're sponsored slash partner. Uh, if you want, you could head on. If you want to visit that uh, partner, you, you may more than welcome to head on down to W Energy. Their website is dubby.gg. And at checkout, with whatever you buy on their site, just enter in code LCM Podcast and you get 10% off your order. Links to their website and the code are in the description down below. Now, uh, if what they have is too expensive for you, I get it. I understand. Stuff's tight today, right now in today's day of a, day and age. Uh, but uh, we do have a tip jar, so if what they have is too much, and you just if you want to toss us a buck or two, uh, you can do that uh, by heading to our GoFundMe GoFundMe link in the description down below. We do or we are not taking Cash App, PayPal, uh, Venmo, or whatever like that. We are doing GoFundMe. Period. End of story. If that link expires, we'll create a new one just for everything. Uh, we have goals for it. Uh, first goal is if, if and when we meet and break $1,000. Uh, as part of what I've been doing to close out uh, our conversation and our main episode is I've been saying the classic line from our show, uh, I'm a gamer and I'm wearing a bikini. And therefore, uh, if we meet or exceed that goal, uh, whether it be one person or combined, we will. I will wear a bikini top for that episode. And yes, I will take photos and uh, maybe, well, mostly photos. Therefore, all of you out there that say, hey, if it's not online, it didn't happen. No photos, it didn't happen. Now, if we meet or break $5,000, I will do a video... A TikTok video uh, of me with that top on. More than likely doing some sort of stupid TikTok dance. Now, um, I had a buddy of mine who uh, listened to an episode. And he's, he asked me, he's like, will you go, uh, will, will you do something along the lines of uh, Dusty Rhodes? Uh, the former late wrestler Dusty Rhodes. For those of you who are not familiar with him, uh, his outfit was uh, like polka dots. And I said, you know what? I'll do it. Now, uh, we do have a goal that if we ever get so, so lucky, uh, lucky to hit a thousand, this is besides lucky to hit a thousand or five thousand, if we're super, super lucky, uh, and hit t- ten thousand, either meet or break t- ten thousand, uh, I'll get two tattoos, one of which is, uh, that of the Green Lantern symbol with a semicolon in it and the words, keep on swimming underneath it now mind you uh even though some of these these funds will go towards the tattoo and the bikini top and so forth and so on uh everything else uh, will go towards the show uh hotels uh, uh not just the show in regards to new or newish equipment it go go to if uh if someone has to come pick me up to, you know, a friend saying, you know, hey, even though we'll be going anyway, uh, it gives me a chance to offer them gas money, um, help me help pay for f- for food, tolls, uh, lodging, the whole nine yards to help uh, do everything. There might be a couple of things if there's an event that has mystery boxes, we might use some of the funds for a mystery box, but it will become content 
for all of you out there. And uh, I think I have to check with, uh, I think there's another part to that goal. I have to check with Sasha in regards to that. But still, uh, there there's those goals that I remember off the top of my head. But still, if that's too much, you don't want to do that, somehow uh, GoFundMe triggers you. You don't like GoFundMe, whatever reason. We do have a Patreon. And with Patreon, we have uh, only one tier. It's a $3 tier. And with that, we'll start posting maybe screenshots of what we're doing, how we're doing. Plus, uh, if you donate, uh, if we get a bunch of people that donate, we'll put up like end cards or beginning cards saying, hey, these are the people that uh, sponsor the show. And we'll, or on the audio side, say, hey, we want to give special thanks to these folks that uh, donated through Patreon. Plus, uh, you guys and gals who that uh, donate through Patreon, you'll see the the YouTube video prior to everybody else. Um, so there's that. There's the whole nine yards. Uh, let's see. That's about it. Plus, there might be some extra perks and quirks for our Patreon in regards to that. Plus, uh, how can I f- keep forgetting? Uh, there's also a separate link in our description down below to that sends you to our uh, co-host Big Candy. I know he hasn't been a part of a show in a long time, but still, uh, he has a merch page. Go check that merch page out and uh, uh, buy something off of him because it helps him out as well. So we have a bunch of ways to support us here at the show. Um, Let me just say this. If helping us financially is a burden, I'll be the first one. I'm sure Big Candy would be uh, in agreement, and just like Sasha's in agreement, that if these fund you, you can't, uh, for whatever reason, uh, listen, we will, we'll be the first to say, listen, take care of yourself first, first and foremost. If you're down to your last couple of bucks, we don't want that, and or, or that dollar, that two dollars, you'd rather hold on to that for food, bills, uh, you know, rent, whatever that or whatever bus fare. By all means, you know, hold on to that money. Uh, you could easily support us by sharing, liking, uh, watching the videos, uh, engaging with the videos, whether likes, dislikes, comments, so forth and so on. All that helps the show. So please do so. Uh, we'll be ha- more than happy to have you engage with the show. Uh, our DMs are open uh, and everything else. So come on down and talk with us discuss with us you know again everything's open uh and that note take care one more anniversary episode to go and it's strictly mainline episodes from then on out so take care i'm the reverend godfather and i am out of here you've been listening to the long coat mafia podcast the internet's most hated and mafia-themed geek podcast.